Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll-Bennett. And we are obsessed with flipping puberty positive. Puberty is a stage of life best described as a roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts. It happens to literally every human being on earth. And it shouldn't be cringy. It should feel, you know, pretty comfortable. Which is why we started this podcast and a newsletter and why we film slightly ridiculous but informative social media videos. It's why we have a brand that makes clothes that literally feel so comfortable and why we write books too. Our latest is This Is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained. We have built a universe of puberty positivity and it all started with this podcast. We are so happy that you're here. You are in store for just a wonderful, like I was going to say something more energetic, but it's like energetic meets soulful yep. conversation with Anna Homayun, who Vanessa's going to get into the bio in a second, but I'm just going to start with, is like the fairy godmother of guiding middle schoolers, high schoolers, college age kids and kids who are entering the workforce, navigating a world which dumps increasing pressures on them and helps them figure out how can I use my prefrontal cortex? How can I lean into systems and also find happiness and purpose? I mean, this is just, Vanessa, I feel like we have met someone who she came on this podcast, everyone's about to hear, and the clouds parted and the sun <laughs> shone in. You'll listen for yourselves. I mean, she has a very deep resume, which I'll do quickly so that not to imagine that we're, you know, she's a snake oil salesman or whatever the phrase is. 
Anna started a Silicon Valley based company called Green Ivy Educational Consulting. After recording with her, I'm going to become their newest client and the founder and executive director of Luminaria Learning Solutions, which is a nonprofit that brings her advisory work into schools. She's the author of four books. And her latest book, which is what we spend most of the time discussing on this episode, is Erasing the Finish Line, The New Blueprint for Success Beyond Grades and College Admissions. And it's the book that all of us need to gain some new perspective. So we hope you find this as meaningful and useful as we did. Enjoy. Anna, it is so wonderful to have you here. It's taken us many mountains to move in order to get here together on Zoom because we had books come out right around the same time. And we were like literally crossing each other in the air on airplanes and like driving past each other's houses when neither of us was there. Um, so <laughs> it, is a, it, it is a total privilege to have you and also to have you talk about such an important set of topics for parents and caregivers and educators. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. And yes, we both had books come out right at the same time. And that's always an exciting time, but also a time when you're like, let's not add anything till next year. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Yes, the truth. And I'm so glad to be here with both of you. So let's set the scene and then we're going to go deep dive into the specifics of your work. I love when you work. set the scene, Vanessa. I mean, normally when I set the scene, I'm impersonating a 14-year-old. But in this case, setting the scene is a much more refined and adult process of setting the scene. Although we could do a pretty funny role play with the question I'm about to ask you. Talk about how the educational landscape has changed over the more than two decades you have been working in this space? Because on some level, there are things that are eternal and evergreen. And in some ways, life has changed very dramatically over the last 20 plus years. So just give us a, give us an overview. Yeah. I mean, a great question because when I start to think about over two decades ago, when I started doing this work, I often say that kids would come into my office and they say they were biggest distractions are food, sleep, their dogs, their siblings, right? And so when I wrote that crumpled paper was due last week, you know, a lot of the technology was just starting, right? The iPhone came out in 2008, all those things shifted. So thinking about how technology has changed, not just from a social media perspective, because everybody wants to think about that, but the day-to-day of how do you assign and collect work? How do you juggle multiple different priorities? How do you figure out what the homework is? Those seem to be little things, but they're actually big, right? So we have that piece. And then I think that the friendship dynamics are also shifted over the last over two decades. And I talked about this in my second book, The Myth of the Perfect Girl, about how reality show relationships have really shifted the way kids are getting examples on how to make and maintain friendships. And I was talking about this years ago, but that's just amplified. So you before you had maybe television 10 years ago, 15 years ago, now you have at you know, your fingertips all these videos and how-tos and 
advice from all over the place. Kids are getting so much information from so many different sources that it's really changing how they interact, how they process information. And we underestimate all the things that they are consuming. And on those two fronts, I mean, as adults, we feel it too, right? So to your first point about the overwhelm, I'm constantly saying, oh, my brain fog, it's menopause. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. And I forget that the power of the devices, not just in my hands, but Mm -hmm. sitting on my desk and, you know, everywhere else in my life, that the overwhelm is so massive. And when I think about what life might have felt like as a student with that layer of Mm -hmm. just volume, sheer volume, it's really hard to imagine. And then to the second point, I mean, there's this piece of what you're describing that is, it's just universal. It's just, I think what our kids are facing in their academic life and what we are facing in our challenges in our adult lives, how do you figure out what a valid source is? How do you know where to go for information? How do you, I need to grab a quick recipe because I need to have dinner on the table in 20 minutes. What do I do? I go onto my phone. I quickly, right? I have cookbooks, but Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, I go to my phone and how do I choose the recipe? And this is a, by the way, a real low risk choice here, right? Like this is not health. This is not safety. This is what we're having for dinner. I grab the first highly rated recipe that meets the ingredient criteria that I put on there. And I have now made a series of calculations that this is a valid site. They're going to give me something that tastes good. They're going to give me clear instructions on how to make it. It's going to get done in the time that they promise it'll get done. Like now you take that and you apply it to every other decision that we make across our lives. It's unthinkable. Now go back to your teenage self and think about all the ways through information. So just those two examples that you gave are massive when we think about how the experience of being a tween or a teen in school today has changed. Well, one thing I'd love to say too to, to on your recipe is that you knew what to filter. Exactly. So oh, yeah. many teens don't know what to filter. So you go right. to search and you're like 10,000 and then they're like all these decisions right. and choices. Mm-hmm. So also there're going to be no naked recipes. There's right. So we can have that whole conversation too, but yes. Right. So executive functioning is a huge part of your work and helping Mm -hmm. kids develop some from some starting places, some from other starting places Mm -hmm. as a parent and as a parent of adolescents, executive functioning is one of the most, or I should say lack thereof is one of the most frustrating aspects of caring for kids. And it's going to get at an issue that we're going to talk about, which is self-esteem. But I want to do the nuts and bolts first. And then I want to go deeper in terms of the social emotional experience of how it manifests and how we as adults manage it. Yeah. Talk us through the long game here, right? Mm -hmm. Because like we're adults with a certain set of executive functioning We don't remember really what it felt like to be kids. Some of us are naturally better at organizing Mm -hmm. and preparing and laying the groundwork. 
probably all of the people on this call are very good at those things. Some people in our lives may be less naturally good at these things, but are hoping or working to develop these skills. One of us may have been sitting with an eighth grader while that eighth grader was doing their homework this week and may not have been the best version of themselves in addressing aspects of executive functioning. Give us the long game. Talk us through developmentally what our expectations Mm -hmm. can be, where the sort of moments of triumph and moments of plateau might happen. Well, I think it's helpful to step back and really understand what does executive functioning mean or what are executive functions? So, you know, this is a term really that came into the academic world less than 15 years ago. So people who read my first book, That Crumpled Paper was due last week, they'll see I never used the term because it wasn't a term to be used. And also it scares people sometimes. They're like, oh, that seems so business-like. But the reality (laughs) is is that it's any, you know, action that we have to think about that's not automatic. So thinking about not like breathing or your heart rate and that you have to process information in order to make a decision. And it might or might not take a bunch of time. So when I think about it with students who come into my office, so primarily I work with middle school, high school, and college students, and I work with young adults in the workplace. But when we work with the middle school, high school age, let's focus on that. I'm looking at organizing, planning, prioritizing, starting and completing tasks, and being adaptable thinkers. To me, that is the foundation for what are the skills that you need to feel successful, feel like you can get back on track when something doesn't go as planned, feel like you can adjust, right? And what we often see is that I have kids and families do an audit of themselves, right? And I say to kids, do a self-assessment of where you are in each of these. Because kids will say, I'm great at organizing and planning, but starting tasks is Mm -hmm. really impossible. Or I'm great at finishing tasks and being adaptable, but organizing and planning are my weak place. And so being able to give them a language and being able to give families a language so it doesn't seem so nebulous is really important. Now, the, the question about the long game is a great one. And I want to highlight two quick stories. One, I was coming back from a trip last week and I was on the airplane and I heard from a friend that I hadn't heard from for years, several years. He and his wife had had a baby and now the baby is like in preschool. And he actually read that crumpled paper was due last week. And he reached out and he said, you know, I read it because I have a boy. I can't believe this, but my goodness, I saw myself in this book. And not only did I see myself, but it started me to wonder how would my career have been different as a person in my 20s and 30s if I had had these skills? Because I always struggled with them, Mm -hmm. right? And I know this person. They're highly successful. They've worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. So on the outward, this person, people would say, oh, he's got these skills all together. And the reality is this impacts a lot of people, not just in middle school and high school, but my big life's work is if we don't develop these skills in middle school and high school, there are lifelong impacts. Mm -hmm. And when we do, which is why I wrote a racing the finish line, (laughs) it can really change life trajectories, social, emotional well-being, and people's ability to engage with their community. So for those who don't know, Erasing the Finish Line, I went back and I interviewed my students from 15 to 20 years ago. So kids who I had seen when they were 13, 14, 15, now they're in their late 20s and 30s. And I thought it was really important for all of us because as you say, when you're sitting with an eighth grader 
and you're not your best self and that is okay. We are all there. That is why I say outsource if you're not the messenger. You read my mind. I was going to ask if you wanted to like just come for a sabbatical in my house because that would be. No, that's that hasn't been. It's it's never been (laughs) been suggested before. She didn't say outsource (laughs) to me. She just said outsource. (laughs) No, but seriously, like here's the thing that I always say. First of all, this is a really trying time emotionally. As you know, you all are the experts in what you've written on. So this is a trying time for both parents and children. And they're trying to develop this identity. And these skills are really not going well at that age. We know this, like where kids are in terms of brain development. And then oftentimes people will say, you know, but boys are really struggling with this more. And I wouldn't have disagreed before, but I will say that technology and social media and the relational issues around social media use have actually seen, you know, an impact on girls' executive Mm. functionings, coupled with the fact that some of these students were online for 18 months, Mm -hmm. not too long ago. And so the development of these skills have really been thwarted. And and I always say to families when they're in the middle of it, like you want to play the long game too, right? Your most important thing is your relationship with your child, not whether or not their binder is organized week to week. And Finding the right person. Yeah, it's not. (laughs) I just find it fascinating that you have identified that this term executive function has only really been applied to the school setting for about a decade and a half. And the iPhone has been around for about a decade and a half. And I'm wondering, is there a Mm -hmm. coincidence happening here or is one thing feeding the other? Do we expect kids to be able to organize more and to be more sort of problem solving oriented because they have so much more coming at them because of these devices? Do we expect it because they need to have those skills because they have so much more coming at them? How does one relate to the other there? Well, I think it's really important to recognize that we gave all of these tools without any coaching on how to use them. You mean we dumped these tools on them? We just dumped them. And when we think about it, it's not just the iPhone. It's Mm -hmm. like the online learning management system. This teacher uses a website. This teacher puts it on the online learning management system. This teacher sends me a text message. I don't know. So, I mean, like it's all these different things and yet there's no streamline. So one of the things I've done over the last decade is consult with schools. So my office is in the Silicon Valley. So I was seeing this play out in my my office, but also in schools from the very beginning, it's that, you know, it's that much more important and there's that much more to filter. So before you'd be handed a piece of paper, if you had a binder, you could put it in the binder and then you did the piece of paper, you turned it back in. Those were fewer steps. Mm-hmm. I was really good at binder. I mean, I mean, there is a yeah. correlation with, you know, being able to Plan a book tour and right. that binder system from eighth but grade. Ken is good at beach and yes, Cara and I'm good, good at binder. binder. That is exactly right. <laughs> but but I guess that to your point, I mean, the skill set was much smaller that we had to achieve, right? Absolutely. And we know that. We know, and that is the beauty of this book, Racing the Finish Line, is that it because you go and take the lens looking back, you turn the lens around and you look back and you let these essentially characters who are real people, but they're also characters in your book. And they, they tell their story and they 
allow for that perspective, that exact perspective that Vanessa is asking about and that you're saying you have to give them the time and the space. This is the long game. And everything about every vignette that you walk through reinforces that by the fact that you are showing the long game. And yet the game keeps changing. You know, you do such a beautiful job of illustrating that. But for for the one of us on this podcast who might have had an eighth grader sitting at the table, that eighth grader is faced with a set of challenges that when my kids were in eighth grade just a few years ago, the hill was lower. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So Anna, let's talk about the goalposts that exist mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. kids and their caregivers, which mm-hmm. you talk really clearly about how the goal is not about you know, the college admissions or the the job or whatever. It's about a series of skills that help you mm-hmm. become a fuller version of who you are, become a better mm-hmm. community member, to be a more connected human being, right? Ultimately, it's not about a something in the distance. It's about the journey and all the skills and connections mm-hmm. you pick up. And I, by connections, I mean human deep connections. Mm-hmm. I don't mean networking. Yeah. <laughs> Although there's nothing wrong with networking. It's just nope. not, the, not the message. Let's not put that on an eighth grader. You'd be amazed though, I know, right? But I know. we're not, we're not going to get distracted. There. We're not going there. Okay. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep. And I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky. And I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. (laughs) And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa. We literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk 
in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. So when we think about this enterprise of caring for kids. Mm -hmm. If you ask most adults, they will say, I want my kid to feel good about themselves. I Mm -hmm. want them to have high self-esteem. I want them to Mm -hmm. feel confident and competent and capable. Mm -hmm. And yet this goal in the distance, which is causing Mm -hmm. lots of problems and the pathway to getting there is in many ways, the inverse of supporting, encouraging, and fortifying self-esteem. So can you help us think about how do we back away from that path? How do we find a path that really does enrich the Mm self-esteem, does encourage it? Like, And knowing that on any given Wednesday night, there are many of us sitting at kitchen tables around the country saying things that we really wish we hadn't because it is doing the opposite of what our ultimate goal is, which is mm-hmm. to help build healthier, happier, safer kids. So talk me mm-hmm. off the ledge and help, yeah. help us get to that core value. Such a meaningful question. So thank you for that. And I will start by saying our attitude and approach is the most important thing. Like how we approach our strategies with our children, our learners is really the foundation for this because I have always said, if you believe this is going to work, it will, and it will expand anyone's wildest dreams. And I've seen it happen. But if you're like, I've tried all that, it's just not. So it's really about the caregiver starting with themselves. Where are they at? And a lot of times I also ask what's coming up for you when you're frustrated about this child struggling with being organized, right? What's coming up? 
And so in the book, I talk about four pillars, and this is basically how to reframe. Now, I want to also say, you know, I got a lot of questions when I was on my the initial part of my book tour about like, well, are you just saying that we should just give up and on like all of that? And I said, no, we want to have students, have learners, have high expectations of themselves and high self-esteem that they can do it. We also need to provide practical strategies that work given today's environment. So this idea is that systems based on executive functioning skills helps students develop organizational skills that decrease stress. So who doesn't want less stress? And stress isn't good or bad. It exists. But if we can create systems that we say, oh, gosh, you know, I started the week thinking, you know, great. And then I, by Friday, I was crawling to the end, but I have a strategy for getting back on track on the weekend. So I don't feel like I'm, you know, it's going to be forever gone. Right. And then the idea of connecting, right. That we really need to focus on, and you all talk about this as well, on the idea of making and maintaining friendships. And most people don't realize that making and maintaining friendships is an executive function. Mm. You have to be able to have inhibitory control. So make, you know, good decisions on how you respond or react. You have to have working memory. So you remember what people are saying or make the connections from the past. And this is the really key thing. We often don't realize that. But if we look at any, you know, school community, there's always that one kid in kindergarten that had, you know, struggled with inhibitory control. Maybe they were hitting, jumping, fighting, yelling, having meltdowns. And by fourth grade, the parents are like, we don't want our kid in the class with so-and-so because Mm -hmm. in kindergarten, the child struggled with inhibitory control, Mm -hmm. which they may have grown out of, right? So this idea of how connections and Mm. how do we build that? And then the idea of perspective is really how do we create this opportunity once you've built these executive functioning skills to expand your perspective through exposure. And ultimately the last is this idea of acceptance, acceptance of who you are, right? We talked before about being introverted and knowing your energy profile and knowing how you recharge best. By we, Anna means her and Cara, not me, because I'm decidedly not an introvert. Anna, what did you call yourself? An ambivert? Like an extroverted introvert, like Cara calls herself, which I agree with 100%. Yeah, I'm an extrovert's extrovert. Can I go back? Can I rewind? You mean since I already interrupted, Anna, can you Yeah, I'm jumping (laughs) into your interruption for a second. I want to pick up this thread here, but I want to go back to a comment you made about systems and having systems in place. That makes Cara happy. She loves systems. Systems I do like systems, but but I'm going to ask a question that's going to shock you, Vanessa. I'm I'm prepared. I'm holding on to my desk. If we have to talk about having systems in place, is there something broken? Like, Mm. you know, and I get it. Their activities of daily living require systems. And by this, I mean like getting dressed in the morning, brushing your teeth, you know, the basics of getting out the front door, that that too requires a system. So I'm not like trying to bash the whole thing, but this concept of our kids need systems in place to manage all that's coming at them. Is there not an argument for maybe we need to re-examine how much is coming at them and mm-hmm. not necessarily upgrade our systems all the time. Hmm. Oh, you know, that's a great way of thinking about it. I think it's actually both. So first of all, you have to figure out what is coming at a child, right? Mm-hmm. And and do an audit of that. 
But also we never really talked about daily habits and routines because there's this hyper-focus on grades mm-hmm. and like that being whether or not somebody's doing well, right? Well, how many times have you asked somebody, how are they doing? Or how is your child doing? And they're like, oh, great. They're getting straight A's. And like, right. it comes out that way, right? Or I just got an A on my test. So like, I, but I asked how you're doing, right? And so the systems piece is actually changing the conversation mm. so that it's not focused on the outcome of grades. It's really focused on that on fundamental daily habits and routines that are around organizing, planning, and prioritizing. But to your point, Carl, it's really important to step back also and be like, but are we not being set up for success? And I see this all the time. So the parent comes to me or the caregiver comes to me very frustrated with their child. And I'm like, your child is out of the house from 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. to 8.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. I'm unclear as to how you think that at 8.30, they should be motivated to do two mm-hmm. hours of work mm-hmm. because adults are come home and they're like, I'm going to watch television. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to put my jammies on. And yet we're asking kids who are going through all these things hormonally, who are tired. And so that is where I also start. Like I had three kids come into my office over the last two weeks where it's like, oh, actually, we're not going to start with the systems piece. I'm just actually going to start with your own energy management because you've got a big monster drink and you're telling me you take three hour naps and you're wondering, and you're going to bed at 2 a.m. We got to fix that part first before we ever talk about systems. So it's like all of these pieces of evaluating where a child is in this moment. How much change can we make? Because mm-hmm. I'm one of these people who's like, I don't care where my kids go to college. I just want them to feel seen and loved and connected and motivated about something, right? Mm-hmm. And yet they'll be like, well, that's fine, but I care where I go to college. Or mm-hmm. I can say to my kid, well, that that doesn't matter to me. And then some other kid does something really extraordinary. And there's like a piece of you inside that's like, oh, and but by the way, sorry, kids, if you're listening, but you're like, oh, my kid's not as extraordinary. Like there's that FOMO, that sort of like that feeling of like, oh, I'm less than, or my kids are less than, or my family's less than, even though I know that my values are like in the right place. Exactly Ultimately, right. This is part of the problem with that quote system. Like I, I think we are both victims of and perpetrators of a problem. And our kids are on the receiving end and they're trying to, Anna, as you said, if they're not sleeping and they're drinking high sugar, high caffeine drinks in order to get through their day and mm-hmm. using all these strategies in order to manage everything that's coming their way, at what point are we not going, oh, the system's broken? Well, I wanna I wanna back up and say something though, because the whole goal of the book and the work that I do is to help kids develop their own blueprint rather than borrowing someone else's. So mm. when you focus And you do it really well. Mm -hmm. Let me just say, you do it. So, uh, well, no, I'm not being sweet. I'm not that sweet. Whoever's listening. She wouldn't say it if if she didn't mean it. Trust me, Anna. And so I really do. I'm going to interrupt and say, for those who have not read the book, that is the reason to read this book. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Well, and so to your point, though, both of your points are really important because actually we can change a lot. And- but we have to focus on that attitude and approach because when I have children come into my office, the magic that I have seen over the course of a few months, over the course of a few years, we had one child come in just this week on Monday and say, oh my gosh, 
Like I finally decided to use this like strategy that we, and it's been a world game changer for me, but she felt so good. And so my, my point to this is really, we want every child to figure out what works best for them so that they can say, you know what, that's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I don't want to be. And the children that I was talking about with the monster energy, this is amazing. This is why I think it's so like, I just, I love my job is because three weeks later, one of those children comes in. And so we're talking and we're doing, da, da, da. and then she goes, yeah, you know, so we started eating breakfast. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, and then she goes, and after our conversation, I really thought about, I don't need caffeine. So I just like stopped. And I was kind of like, did you just give up? Like, did you just stop right away? Because I would like to, t- did you have headaches? Like what happened? She's like, no, you know, I just realized that, you know, again, it was this process of, I wasn't telling her what to do. Mm-hmm. I was asking these open-ended questions without judgment. And I was saying, are these daily habits moving you towards your goals, whatever those are, or are they moving you away from them? And just ask yourself. And I'm just going to interject that when we all put on the parent or primary caregiver hat, we all know that when those exact same words come out of our mouth, identical words, identical delivery, everything, they don't listen. But I do think they hear it and it is one piece of straw on the haystack. And sometimes what it takes is the non-primary caretaker coming in and delivering it one more time to land. This should not sort of emphasize this notion that because they don't do it when we say in the parent role, do it, that we shouldn't say it. It's just, you know, we've all been there, right? Where we've given the exact same, but you, you really hey, that extra hour of sleep will be game-changing for you. Do you know this science? Do you know this? Do you know this? And they're like, right? And then uh, they go into the pediatrician's office. They go into your office. They walk down the street Mm -hmm. and a random stranger says to them, an extra hour of sleep. They're on TikTok and suddenly they're in bed and that is infuriating, but it's okay because if everyone is adding the same straw to the haystack, then that stack is getting bigger and bigger and it's maybe the last straw that's the one that tips them over. Great, great. And I want to talk about another aspect that can get in the way of Mm -hmm. fulfilling our best intentions. And I, with your permission, I actually want to get a little bit personal with you because you speak personally about your own experience Mm -hmm. moving across the country as a seventh Mm -hmm. grader so we can think a little bit about transitions and how we all handle transitions. Mm-hmm. And you also shared with us that you yourself experienced precocious puberty and felt like not listened to by the adults around you. And I guess if the term gaslighting actually existed when, when you were that age, maybe you could have been like, you sure. guys are gaslighting me, but it didn't. So share you know, the aspects that feel comfortable to you about yeah. Experiences, but also how that has helped you build empathy and understanding for the kids oh, yeah. that you work oh, with. Yeah. I started puberty when I was about six years old. And up until when I was nine, I was the tallest kid in the classroom. So back row, you know, back row center. I played center on my junior high basketball team, but I'm five three. Um <laughs> and so I had this whole experience also that I think I'm a tall person, which is fascinating to me because they're like, you're not that tall. 
you on Zoom, you seem like a very tall person. Right, right, not tall. And then on top of that, I moved cross country and to very different. Like I grew up in New England, in Connecticut, in rural Connecticut. And then we moved to the Silicon Valley, right? The heart of the Silicon Valley. And that's when I started seventh grade. And I remember going home the first night and being like, ah, we bought the wrong clothes. But also mm. I was still, you know, taller. And that just affects how you're perceived by your peers, how you form friendships. And, you know, junior high was really hard mm-hmm. and there is no cutting that. And I say that because I even just reflected on it. I was in a retreat earlier this week for a board I'm on. And I was talking about how, you know, in so many times in my life where I've thought that there was a rejection, it was actually a protection or a redirection and just even weird things came up, but junior high was one of them Mm. and how I didn't have a social dynamic. I was like, I cannot hang out with these girls for another four years. And these were like not popular, quote unquote, these were like, the girls in the nerdy classes with, which I was like, I thought this was low stakes. Right. And they, one of them was so evil (laughs) that when I was in my mid twenties and I write about it in the book, she came back and she was like, I'm so sorry for how I treat you. And I was like, Oh, I really haven't thought about it, but I did switch high schools because I was like, I can't do another four years. But that opened the door to so many things. Literally why I'm on this board that I was just talking about on Tuesday is because of that. Now back to this precocious puberty. I also though think that when you don't listen to children as their bodies are changing mm-hmm. and as they're juggling all these different things, it feeds this culture of perfectionism and not mm-hmm. feeling good enough. And I I navigated that for so many years. And that is so why I can empathize with children and just having a hard time. You know, our office is such a cozy space. We work with kids over Zoom, but kids come into our office. They love coming in because we've created this cozy, you know, extension of like, everyone's welcome. Mm -hmm. And it's just really the vibe of what we have. And it's part of it is like, I remember feeling unwelcome, but I have to also say one quick thing. I credit, it was really funny. I talked to my mom about this all the time because my mom did not experience precocious puberty. So she, and we had just, she had immigrated to the U S so it's my dad's side of the family. She had immigrated to the U.S. and we didn't have like extended family around. But my grandma came to visit when I was six and she takes my mom aside. She goes, she's going to get her period any day now. And my mom's like, what are you talking about? And my mom was like, I was clueless, right? There was no internet Mm, back then. It was like, her sample size was pretty small. She didn't have, I didn't have cousins running around at the time. So some of it was just like benign misunderstanding. And then you have, you know, all these other things. I think we now have a lot more information. And I think we also, I wish we would, I wish that they would fund more research on this, but you know, some particularly amazing. Yes. And one thing Mm -hmm. that's particularly amazing about that story is that you were going through something that was outwardly visible. Totally. And it, right. And it took someone choosing to see it. And as you said, benign misunderstanding, your mom, for a hundred reasons, maybe couldn't see it. A hundred wonderful reasons couldn't see it. But the rest of the world could probably see it. In your writing, you write about things that are not so visible, things that are part mm. of what kids carry in their brain and in their gut and in their soul and in their but those are not outwardly visible. And it's that much harder sometimes to see what's happening. And your story illustrates that even with something 
as visible as precocious puberty, a six-year-old who has secondary sex characteristics and a girl. So we're talking about breast development. This is Mm -hmm. obvious, right? Even that, it took conscious choice to see it, to do something about it, to help you through it. Very interesting to me that you've chosen to focus your life on the even less visible challenges that kids face. And I think it makes, frankly, perfect sense Mm. that this is the beginning of your own narrative. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for observing that because it was very important to me for that part of the book to be included. And I did a chapter called floating in the book around my own. And I don't really, you know, I've written, this is my fourth book. I've rarely talk about myself in my previous books because I always want to be centered on the children that I work with. And I also realized that in this moment, I can't talk about erasing the finish line. If I don't talk about my own experience with erasing the finish line in every element of my life, including the things that were hard. Because as parents too, as you're looking at an eighth grader or a 10th grader and you're like, oh my gosh, where are they right now? What I want people to walk away from this book with is hope, optimism, and practical strategies. So it's not just like la la la. It's like, no, 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 no. Here's the thing. Here's where we start. And here's how to help. And here's what you can outsource. And by outsource, I mean also a family friend, a trusted adult. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to hire someone. And I always want to say that to families. Yes, but I'm also going to put you on speed dial. Um, <laughs> so I want people to read the book because it's Thank super you. important that they actually read it. But if you could send us off with a charge to all of our listeners who mm-hmm. are, if they're anything like me, thinking of all the ways they blew it just this week, Anna's shaking her head. What is one way to give ourselves a fresh start, right? We're like, okay, blank slate. My screw ups last week, I'm leaving my baggage at the door. I'm leaving my, you know, my own journey at the door. What is one open-ended empathic question we can enter next week with that will give everybody a new chance? Wow. That is a really thoughtful way of looking at it. And I want to think about this idea of how we can encourage curiosity and openness to expand the narrow definitions of what success looks like and encourage multiple pathways. So I think where we can start is encouraging children and caregivers to have the conversation of what's one time where something didn't work out as planned and yet the sprinklings that came after it were really wonderful. Mm. And I say that because I could start with the practical tools around organizing, planning, and prioritizing. But what I want to do before then is give people the opportunity to really think through that there is possibilities they may not have thought of. And then from there, I would say, Think about an audit, and I mean audit in a very kind way, not in a tax painful, all those things way, but (laughs) audit where the strengths are in this idea of organizing, planning, prioritizing, starting and completing tasks and being adaptable and own those strengths first. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, say, hey, what is one thing you'd want to 
work on for yourself to make your life easier, right? And that's a better way of approaching it rather than saying, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's how to do it better. Uh, <laughs> I have lots of, you know, suggestions for you <laughs> that are going to go nowhere. And they're going to be like, and see you later. I'm out. See ya. There's so much more to talk about. We're really, really grateful to have you on and to be in conversation. And for you really framing this conversation in both a beautiful and really practical way. So thank you so much gratitude for you and all the work that you do to help kids and their caregivers make some progress. Thank you so much. Thank you. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Yet. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.